1: Welcome to episode 697 of The Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever and coming up on the show this week we'll be hearing from David Jung. He is part of the cast and one of the stunt performers as well as acting in and/or brand new to Disney Plus and taking us a look behind the scenes as to what happened before the film, Row One. We'll also be hearing from Jodie Kidd, uh, literally only hearing. We have some of these uh, interviews in uh, audio only today, uh, which is perfectly normal if you're listening on the audio version of this. If you're watching the video, You're not getting it. Jodie Kidd, though, is going to be along to let us know uh, about the campaign to get dogs into more places. Let them relax in the pub. Pop shopping with you. We'll be finding out about uh, her thoughts on that one. Uh, We'll also be having a NASA with uh, Ashton Merigold. He, of course, a JLS fan. We'll be talking all about the perils of the trick-or-treat treats that could be damaging your kids' teeth. Aquafresh are giving you some tips on uh, how to look after them. Uh, We will be talking about Scotland and some of the amazing uh, ghostly tales there. As uh, we make our way through Halloween over uh, the thirty-first, obviously, and uh, the excitement therein. Plus, on top of that, we'll be hearing about the film. Uh, well, the it, it's actually a documentary uh, which is called uh, Sexploitation, and it has been looking at the way in which kids have been sexualized during the pandemic, and uh, the way in which people have had access into their homes through their computers, and how we can avoid that being something that happens to in your family. Plus, on top of that, uh, we'll also be hearing from. Dr. range and also uh, Sarah Jane Crawford, as uh, they let us know uh, about uh, how to uh, sort of improve the situation when it comes to bedwetting uh, for those aged five through sixteen. That's all on the show this week. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus are currently airing Andor, a prequel to Rogue One. One of the stars of the show is stunt actor David Chung, who joins me now. Hello, sir. Hi there. Thanks for having me. How's it going? It's all good. Good to talk to you. So tell me a a bit about the series to begin with and how this fits in with the rest of the Star Wars universe.
2: There's a lot going on. It's uh, it's basically about the story of Cassian Andor and basically, you know... It's his backstory of, like, you know, what he's been through and what he's going through. Um, The story follows his journey. And um, you're going to need to watch it to, you know, to actually see, like, how deep it goes. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really... It's a really good show. It's, it's really been some high-
1: amazing content from Disney, which is exploring the, the Star Wars backstory. And with the success we've seen with Mandalorian, this is another great opportunity to explore that Star Wars world. Yeah. And, and when did you first come to watching Star Wars? Because I, I saw the first film as the first thing I ever saw at the cinema when I was, what, must be five, something like that. And uh, so it, 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 it grabs us as kids and takes us through our whole lives, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it does, it does. Um, like quite a few years ago, like really, you know, quite a few years. I don't remember how long ago, but it's been, you know, when I was slightly a bit younger. (laughs)
1: Mm. But I mean, the the amazing thing about you in this series, of course, is you are doing an awful lot of stunts, acting role too. So this is uh, uh, amazing to to be part of, and you're one of the few in the UK who are actually on that stunt register.
2: Yes, correct, correct. Sun Register was like probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, it's sort of like a degree, it takes, like on average, like three to five years to complete,
3: mm-hmm.
2: depending on how much you train, how busy you are, and how much finance you, you actually have to finance it, because it costs, costs a lot to um, complete all the disciplines. Mm-hmm. So people actually give up before they even finish. <laughs> It's, it's just so it's just so hard to get on
1: uh, but the important thing is though when people are performing stunts they're doing it safely everything is choreographed but it's making it look so real yet there is there is always an element of danger of course that is there but it's controlling that danger and making sure that you've got the best scenario and the best outcomes and some great shots at the end of it all
2: yeah that's why we we normally like have rehearsal days so like we'll set up you know, a set amount of time, maybe like a week or two weeks or even months, uh, would rehearse the stunt in the safe environment in the studio with like crash mats and, and um, uh, all the rigging team. So we rehearse the stunt first, and then show the previews to like the director and team, and then on the day we would know what to do. We already we've already rehearsed it. Practice like all the moves, all the stunts, and then on the day we just set it up, set up the cameras and then record it in costume. Uh,
1: but what was it that first got you into working in the world of stunts? Again, something that you, you wanted to do from an early age? Um,
2: so I've always been in martial arts, I've always trained in martial arts, I've always like been very active and growing up watching like, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, Jet Li, all these like Hong Kong action movies. and. The Hong Kong stunt guys are, like, really inspiring. It's just so cool to watch, you know, all these crazy stunts that just look so real. Um, I just, yeah, and then I just fell into it, really, in the UK. Um, there was a casting for, you know, 47 Ronin with Keanu Reeves? Mm-hmm. So a casting for people that knew how to fight, how to use swords. Because I did Shaolin Kung Fu, I used to perform with swords a lot. And I thought, yeah, this, is, this sounds like what I can do. So, I sent in my staff, I auditioned, and then I managed to get picked to, you know, fight around Chana Reeves. And yeah, I was, I was part of the like stunt SPAC team, and I had the best time of my life. And I got speaking to loads of stunt guys, and I asked them, Oh, how do you become a stunt man? They told me you have to join the stunt register, do six disciplines. And then, straight after that job, I basically just researched and took action, started training joined like agencies and I just started pushing myself out there create the show reel and now here I am. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you, you're no stranger to uh, effectively almost performing stunts in real life. I mean, with being a rock climbing instructor, uh, you, you're used to getting out there in the wild. You're used to going and enjoying the, the great outdoors and doing the sort of things that do put you on the edge, but also on the edge in, in a controlled way. So you do know what you're doing. That's the important part. And you should never try any of that at home.
2: Yeah, yeah. You, should, you know, you need to prepare, prepare yourself, prepare your body, prepare your mind. You know, you never, like, go to battle without, you know, practicing how to defend yourself and how to, you know, battle, basically. So that's the thing with us. We, we train stunts. You know, we train our bodies, we condition our bodies, and we practice, like, fools, we practice the martial arts. It just depends on what job uh, we're doing, we'll prep for it.
1: Recording. It's all in the planning and preparation. And yeah. uh, So th- th- there's there is so much green screen in, in, in films these days. You forget how much is done for real, and I think that's the important part, yeah. isn't it? There's a lots of done for real, but it may not always be in front of the backdrop that you expected to be in front uh, of.
2: The set designs are incredible. Like the people that design the sets and the way they build everything to make it look so realistic. Like on Andor, they literally built like a whole like village. It was like incredible. It just, it just made you feel like you're, in, you're actually in like a soul world well. so because everything was so realistic. But um, the amount of attention to detail that they put into it is just like amazing. It's like a proper proper surreal feeling.
1: Mm-hmm. And of course, I so say we can see all this on Disney Plus. Uh, is the whole of the season available now? They're releasing episodes
2: slowly. So you should go on Disney Plus Plus, have a look and start from episode one.
1: <laughs> Endor is what we're looking for. And exploring, you know, again, more behind the scenes, but so much action. And again, it, it's good to get the stories here, isn't it, and learn about the characters and, and those they interact with before yeah, the, the, the films And in. It's one to go back and watch Rogue One again after you've seen yeah, Endor. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: So where can we find out more about you and your work? You can follow me on
2: Instagram, at uh, David Chung Official uh i'm on twitter as well david chung eight and yeah you can see me on youtube as well if you type in david chung uh you'll see me there
1: yeah social media that's the way explore social media you'll find David there as you say yep. if you want to see him in uniform head along to Disney plus look for Andor and enjoy the series which takes us to a time before Rogue One that will again say, prepare you for, to re-watch the film and have even more insight to what was going on and who knows where this is going to go next I and mean, I'm sure there is a life for many of these characters past this series isn't
2: there yeah definitely, <laughs> definitely.
1: David Cheng, thank you for joining us thank
2: you very much thank you it was nice speaking to you
1: It's all about the myths and legends surrounding Halloween and the Highlands of Scotland have got absolutely loads of myths and legends which are great to go and visit and find out more about. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Richard Felix, historian from TV's Most Haunted, Laura Goddard, travel writer based in Lerwick in Shetland and also Lorna Steele-McGinn, community engagement officer at the Highland Archives based in Inverness. Good afternoon to you all. Hello. 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 <laughs> right, so, so first of all, Richard, as historian on Most Haunted, uh, you, you were looking at the, the, the truth behind the perception that everybody was having. And uh, I mean, there is a lot of stories to be had. And as, as we're about to find out, when you do visit the Highlands of Scotland, particularly if you're thinking about all the ghostly tales of Halloween, there's an awful lot going on that is really of massive interest. Oh, God, God there's so much to say
0: um but, you know as you said myths and legends is absolutely true but i'm such a great believer in in trying to find the truth because there is always truth behind myths and legends there's grains of truth there's no smoke without fire and and i this is my take on the whole thing but if you can tie in the history with the ghost stories the myths and the legends that go with then it makes the whole thing so much more fascinating and when you <clears throat> when you've got myths and legends like the Highlands and the islands of Scotland, then you've just got the perfect ingredients for uh, what everybody wants, everyone loves. Um, You know, you can't beat it, to be quite honest with you. You've got got such famous people to do with. You know, Bonnie Prince Charlie, Mary Queen of Scots, Robert the Bruce, uh, William Wallace. And, And although there are myths and legends associated with, there's an awful lot of truth behind their stories that, that a lot of people don't know. Because often, like White Prince, Charlie Fritz and Mary Queen of Scots, they lost. And, and history is always written by the victor. So we never hear the real stories. And that's, that's where I come in, because I want to know what the story is that caused the ghost to be there. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I mean, Laurie, uh, as uh, as a travel writer, uh, you're used to heading around some of these places. And, and when I've uh, been lucky enough to head up to uh, to Scotland, I've stayed around in Venice and Dallas. Uh, in fact, in a haunted house in Dallas. We'll probably come back to that in a bit. Uh, but uh, it, 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 when you do come to travel, there are places which sort of the uh, hairs on the back of your neck go up. And as, as a travel writer, this must be the things you enjoy writing about when you travel.
4: It is. It certainly is. And the Highlands and Islands themselves are just... They're just so steeped in in myth and legend and folklore, and I think it always surprises people when they're in the Highlands and Islands that, I mean, we're we're a nation of trows and silkies and spooky stories, but I think it's just how accessible it is to people, so it doesn't matter where you are, you'll happen upon haunted remains or the ruins that carry some sort of inspiring story and it's and so people can really feel like they're getting involved in it and it can be quite unexpected too I was, um I was just reminiscing earlier and I was remembering a picnic that we went on on the, um, the island of Yale up in Shetland. And we were looking at these houses that had been cleared during the clearances. And when we entered one of them, or we got to the door, got to the threshold, and I just got like an, an overwhelming sense of foreboding that we shouldn't be there, mm-hmm. and so we left. And when I looked into the story, it was a story associated with witchcraft, which is, again, something that's really prevalent in the Highlands and Islands. And it was a a, a woman who was accused of being a witch, and she had... She'd upturned a boat, a six-odd boat, a six-odd boat, and the six crew had been lost and they were last seen surrounding this house with the the kind of shadow of a black dog around them and so when we went on this picnic then I had no preconceptions about what I was going to find and it was only when I went to the archives after that I uncovered this story and looking back at the names that had been brought up in the story I could see that the house that they had lived in had been the house where I had had that sense of foreboding. And it so is, it is, it is strange, time. isn't
1: it, the way these things happen? So, uh, and Lorna, you're you, you, custodian of these archives in many ways. And uh, uh, I, I mentioned Dallas, obviously not far from Inverness itself. It's uh, somewhere I stayed as a teenager and up there with my family. And, and one half the house seemed quite normal. And then the other half was strangely fi- a feeling of coal. And again, that's sort of a foreboding that Laurie was talking about. And it is great to be able to delve into the past here. And if only I could find them uh, on, uh, on uh, online, it'd be great to you know, dig out that info and find out what really was happening there because it was a a very interesting place to visit but Scotland is known for this and it's not only got the stories behind you know the, the events that happened but also some great things from film and TV too.
5: Yeah and I think that touches back on what both Richard and Laurie have already said which is the the fact behind a lot of those stories is in some ways much more um, exciting than than what comes from them. So peop- it's the it's the films and the stories and the books that sometimes draw people to come here, and then when they get here, they realise that it's so much deeper and broader than that. And you know what Laurie was saying there about using the archives. When you take something that's that's given you the inspiration, like that visit to that house, and then you're able to go in to look at historic records, to look at maps and place names and um, find out some of those real stories behind the places, it's, uh, it just adds a huge amount of of knowledge to the feelings that you get from the place as well.
1: Yeah. And and Richard, I mean, uh, when you uh, did your book uh, looking at the ghost tour of Great Britain and took into account Scotland, uh, it it must be, again, intriguing finding out the tales behind the stories. In in Laurie's case there, we heard about something which was perceived and then was investigated. Uh, I suppose when you're on a ghost tour, sometimes you, you get the feeling of a ghost and then have to go and find out what it's all about. Oh, oh yes, that's that's right. Yeah, because that makes it so
0: much more interesting. I'm um, in mean, various places that I've been, certainly in in the Highlands, um, because I've obviously not only done the 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 the, balk, uh, the t- two videos of Ghosts of Scotland, um, and and also quite a few most haunted programs uh, from from Scotland as well. And things things have happened to me. That 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 you know, I can't explain. Um, I mean, what one of the fascinating ones is is obviously being into Bonnie Prince Charlie big time. Um, I've obviously visited uh Eriskay, where he first landed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I don't know, there's on the shore of where he landed, there's a a certain something there that you can't put your finger on. But when I went to um Lochnan Newham, which is on the west coast where he actually landed on the mainland of Scotland, um he not only did he land there, but he left there fifteen months later, under well a bit of disappointment to say the <laughs> least. And there's a huge stone. There's a thing called the uh, Charlie Stone, which is the actual on this exact spot that he left. And I've got a great b- believer in in. There's a thing called the Stone Tape Theory, mm-hmm. and and it the stone holds memories for want of a better word. And I've stood there and and i can't say his ghost was there but there was a certain something a presence that that i could sense um i was all alone standing there on the shore and my god there's something came over me that i can't explain it all i know is that there's something, it's an incredible place to visit it really is and the the story the whole story of charlie is so much more fascinating than than what the the historians of the time wrote mm-hmm. Because he was a bad lad, but he wasn't. (laughs) You know, it's a really good story. And his ghost is all over the Highlands.
1: And as I say, it's part of bringing the magic love to life. Of when went people do travel. Uh, and, and Laurie, again, yeah. you obviously you've got the, the the true stories and and things that are a, a little more fabricated. Uh, we know that uh, uh, there's a, there's a certain cafe in Edinburgh where some books were written uh, by a young lady who was uh, had particular success with them. And uh, you know the the Harry Potter tours across Scotland must be quite big. And again, something else you've probably written about when you've been travel writing.
4: Yeah, I mean you get you get all of these these televised. Um, shows like Harry Potter and you have Outlander and all of these things which are inspired by the Highlands and Islands and the stories that they tell and so for I, I guess for JK Rowland writing Harry Potter then she felt something she must have felt something in Scotland that inspired that and then you've got the landscapes with the the Glenfinnan Viaduct and various locations that are used that are I mean you've you've got the colours in the landscape, you've got the mists and all of these things that just really add to to giving something, the spooky appeal. But I mean, for me, I think, some of the most interesting stories are are the true stories. And particularly of interest to me is the is witchcraft.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: And like looking at it, researching it locally in Shetland, Shetland Islands, way up north, we had seven, seven known witches that were that were trialed here, but across Scotland during the time King James VI had introduced these kind of revised laws in the early 1600s, And it it just kind of set off this witch hysteria throughout the nation. That resulted in the estimated two and a half thousand women and men that were executed and burnt at the stake and I think I think that just that that kind of superstitions around witchcraft and that fear of women particularly particularly women and like not every witch was a woman but every woman was a potential witch in the in the eyes of people living in 17th century Scotland and the kind of ingredients that made a witch tended to favor women so they were more likely to quarrel where men would get their fists out and start fighting Um, and they would put curses on people and it's just it's just that deeply embedded part of the Scottish psyche I suppose that Mm -hmm. that has this kind of superstitious um, nature and I just find it really compelling.
1: It is, and there's some amazing stories. And uh, hopefully, uh, you've noticed that my surname, being Forrest, is part of the Douglas clan. So I, I've got Scottish roots as well, which is good. And, and, Lorna, we can find out all sorts from the archive. But this is all part of a year of stories from Scotland, isn't it?
5: Yes. So visit Scotland run themed years, and this year, 2022, has been the year of Scotland stories, which has has been a gift for those of us that work in heritage and and archives, because our job really is just uncovering stories from the past centuries and decades and sharing them out to to a wide range of audiences in different ways so it's been a real um yeah a real gift of a year it's been a wonderful year visit scotland have done this year
1: and the the good thing is as well of course, these stories continue to live on not only online with the hashtags ys2022 and tales of scotland but also uh, through the fact that people can research and will continue to to want to find out about the places they visit where can we go for more information and uh, how can we get hold of some of the info from your archives
5: so from a Highland point of view, then the Highland Archive Service is run by Highlife Highland. We look after the historic documents relating to uh, large parts of the Highlands. There's also Taskeland uh, T- T- and Eland, which is the Western Isles, and Shetland and Orkney Archives as well. And all of those will contain all sorts of different stories. Visit Scotland's website will give more about how to how to physically come and take part in it. But I think any any part of the Highlands and Islands that people want to come to and visit they will find themselves very easily immersed in our past and the stories that come from it, because it would be hard not to be.
1: Well, I'm not too far away from another trip up to stay around Loch Ness and uh, the wonderful surroundings we have around there, and maybe even a trip back to Dallas to find out what it was in that house. Uh, Laurie, where can we find out about you and your travel writings?
4: So my website is um, shetlandwithlaurie.com, and you'll find me on Instagram at shetlandwithlaurie as well.
1: And Richard, where can we catch up with you?
0: Well, unfortunately, I've got nothing, no Scottish connects like that at all. But it's richardfelix at gmx.com.
1: And you can check out, uh, of course, your books uh, and uh, videos also covering Scotland. That's right, they're so all on the website like... and everything else, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That's well Sorry, it's doing. wrong,
0: it's richardfelix.co.uk.
1: <laughs> Simple as that. Get along there. Yep. Make sure we get that right. Richard Felix, historian from TV's Most Haunted. Laurie, good lad, travel writer based in the, up in Shetland. And also Lorna steel McGinn, Community Engagement Officer at Highland Archives. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you very
4: much.
1: Thank you. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Oris Media have a powerful documentary, Sextortion, The Hidden Pandemic. Now, filmmaker Maria Peake is part of the team there. Stephen Peake also joins us to tell us about his involvement in this production. And they're with me now to let us know more about what is a very disturbing subject. Good afternoon to you both.
7: Good afternoon. Thanks for having us. Good
1: to talk to you both. So uh, first of all, uh, Marie, tell us how this uh, documentary came to be brought to the screen.
7: So Steven and I get pitched a lot of projects because our previous two films were really successful on Netflix, on iTunes. Um, And in December of 2019, a group came to us and they told us about anti-human trafficking task force in Southern California. And they wanted us to follow the task force and kind of expose what's happening with kids in person and specifically online. Through cyber crimes against kids and expand the definition of human trafficking. And then, you know, COVID hit and pandemic hit, and we realized so many children are going online. Um, we also realized that we couldn't travel to California and tell that story in person. We had to stay on the East Coast, close to Washington DC and New York where we live. And so we started looking into a case uh, of a Top Gun pilot who's extorted hundreds of victims. um, And we were able to unseal the case for the production. And so we decided to highlight that case as a part of a true crime documentary that also educates uh, parents and teens what can happen online. And that's how the film came about. We were supposed to film in California, but we ended up filming on the East Coast and kind of changing the narrative of the film because we realized that human trafficking is um, a big problem, but sextortion is 1000% more prevalent. And it's the fastest growing crime against kids that no one knows about. We are parents too to 11 and 14 year old girls. And for us personally, it was a story we wanted to tell and we wanted to tell it well. We wanted to tell it in a positive, non-traumatizing kind of way. So people could be educated about this crime without traumatizing themselves and their children.
1: I see something that obviously clearly needs to be talked about to try and avoid repetitions of these cases. And, and Stephen, I think that's probably been very prevalent during the uh, the Q and A's that surround this documentary during screenings.
3: Yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, you know, like Maria said, it is, I think, the fastest growing crime that nobody knows about. When we were trying to decide if we were going to make this uh, film or not, we took a look around and I found, you know, 50 or 60 documentaries on human trafficking, but nothing on this, nothing on online enticement, nothing on sextortion. And as we took the film into communities across the US, uh, I would hear in almost every city a parent would stand up and say, thank you for making this film, I had no idea. And so we realized from talking to the people on the front lines that we can't arrest ourselves out of this problem because they're completely overwhelmed with cases. And so if we can use this film as a prevention tool to let parents and teens know what to be looking for, then we think this might be our best chance at turning these numbers around.
1: Yeah, Spotlight Doc's obviously working with you to to make this uh, a reality and to get this out there. And when you were uh, exhibiting at the Santa Barbara Film Festival, obviously within the industry, it must have been quite shocking as well, Maria.
7: Yeah, it's very shocking. A lot of people in the industry had no idea... Uh, We actually decided to qualify the film for an Oscar just because we wanted to elevate this conversation into the mainstream media Mm -hmm. for people to understand what's really happening online to children, how easy this crime is, how fast this crime is, and how many children are affected. Now we're hearing numbers one and four are affected. We used to hear numbers one and seven. And now they're saying one in four children online whose profile is open and who can be contacted by strangers are targeted for sextortion. We had a lot of cases against teenage boys recently in the US where kids just took their own lives because they didn't know what else to do. And there would be 16, 17 year old boys that were targeted by sextortion rings out of Nigeria and Ivory Coast. So uh, this crime is exploding and we definitely... um, A lot of people in the mainstream media in Hollywood are shocked by the numbers, are shocked by the fact that this crime even exists because most people don't know about it.
1: Yeah, because I mean, it could be taking place literally in their own homes. That uh, Somebody is actually using you know equipment these days, which is there for the kids to so do uh, schoolwork or talk to their mates on, all of which should be p- completely innocent and are actually being you know, abused remotely. Uh, and, and as well as a, a number of them going missing as well. And it, it, you do worry as to, you know, if somebody is disappearing, uh, are they, is it because they're stressed out? Are we likely to see another loss of life? Or could they have been taken by one of the gangs behind this and and, and being used and literally uh, abused in real life as well as what they've suffered uh, online? And again, see, this is a harrowing story to tell, but one that we need to hear.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we often talk about, you know, here in the US, when you're 16 years old, you get to drive a car on your own for the first time. Um, But before that, they have to take a test. They have to learn the rules of the road. They have to drive with a parent for an entire year while they're 15 to make sure that this tool uh, that they're learning is something they can do safely. And then often as parents, we give our kids an iPad or, or a phone or a device and they're 10, 11 years old, and then we don't tell them anything, you know? And so we try to say, you know, the internet is a great tool. It's allowing us and on different sides of the pond to have a really cool conversation together. Uh, But at the same time, we have to know how to use it safely. And our kids don't have fully developed prefrontal cortexes. They can't make full, you know, executive decisions, you know, uh, like we can as adults. And so Mm -hmm. we have to help them to know what to look for, And we're hoping that the film will be a great tool for us to do so as parents.
1: Yeah, because I mean, there are people out there preying on the vulnerable and using that vulnerability against them. And it it, it truly in some cases just a lack of world experience because they're not old enough to have got that yet. You wouldn't want them to have many of the experiences that we're talking about them spotting and and avoiding here because you don't want them to have been into that world yet. Uh, Yet that obviously there there is that danger and there is the, the predator. That is the problem. There are predators out there.
7: Yes, and you know, kids are kids are awesome. They're very trusting. They are the future of any nation. Uh, I don't want to butcher the quote, but I read a quote by Nelson Mandela, how a nation treats their children, treats their youth is determining their future, is the path of the nation. So how are we protecting our children? They are vulnerable. They are awesome. They are curious. They are friendly. So they are friending these people online. And it is our responsibility as parents and as filmmakers To protect them and give them enough information and education, you know, something you don't know about, you cannot avoid it. You have to know that that's a danger to know how to avoid that danger. So um, right now we are in the phase two. uh, After release of the film, we're actually creating curriculum for schools that we're going to pilot in the state of Virginia and then take it nationwide for children to learn about these dangers and learn how to avoid it.
1: And this is something hopefully we'll see internationally as well. I mean, uh, this film will be available in the UK. We'll talk about how you can get to see this in a short while's time. But as it it is it, uh, about that big picture. And, and th- this is now a crime which doesn't have boundaries.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're often seeing, you know, perpetrators in the Netherlands reaching out to a kid in Canada or someone in the Ivory Coast reaching out to someone in California, and so uh, the internet opens the entire world uh, to us, which is an amazing thing, Uh, but when you think about maybe the entire world being open to your 12-year-old's bedroom, maybe not so amazing, Mm -hmm. and so it kind of goes back to that education, and, and just helping kids to understand, you know, that not everyone online is who they say they are, and people lie all the time, and not everyone online has your best interest at heart, and so if we can help arm our kids with that information and let them help to tell their friends about it, then I think we can maybe make a real change here.
1: Absolutely. And then through what is seen in the documentary, it is isn't something which is frightening that it's going on but it's presented in such a way as it is accessible to make kids understand for parents to understand and to be part of that growing curriculum that helps to make sure that education is there too so where can we go to to not only watch the documentary but also to be able to start that conversation
7: so our website is sextortionfilm.com you can click on the button order the film and itunes link amazon link Google link, Vimeo link will come up and you can watch the film. You can also click on resources and see different resources that are available To start that conversation with your child we have different links how to report this crime internationally as well as nationally we have links to modules that you can show your child a five-minute module and start that conversation with them and a list of questions that you can ask them to kind of prompt them to have this open conversation so that it's not a taboo subject it's a subject that they're educated on and it's a subject they're aware on you know most of us as parents told our children don't go with strangers you know if they come to the playground don't talk to strangers don't engage with them and don't you know leave the playground with them the same happens online but for some reason people think it's not real world even though it's very real um Mm -hmm. strangers talk to them approach them and you know so the film will help you understand how to avoid this.
1: And they're also, as part of this, you'll be able to see the sort of signs that you need to look out for in case this is going on with your kids and you hadn't realized it. And, you know, don't, don't feel bad for the fact you hadn't realized it, but at least get the education from the film to know what you're looking out for and how to avoid them being injured. You know, it, it is as long as you are picking up on what is happening and you can be stopped then you've got a good place to be able to get your kid back to who they should be. But equally, it is so alarming that this is going on there and it's happening to too many families. Uh, for now, Maria and Stephen Peak, thank you both for joining us.
7: Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Jason.
1: New research from Pampers has shown that one of the biggest challenges parents are facing is bedwetting. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Sarah-Jane Crawford and also by Dr. Ranj. Good afternoon to you both.
6: Hi. Hi.
1: So, first of all, uh, give us a, a bit of the background to, to the research, Sarah Jane, because I mean, this is something which you've got personal experience of and you're helping your kids through at the moment, too.
6: Yeah, so Ninjam has basically, you know, put out a study to say that over half of parents that are dealing with this issue say there's not enough information out there. So, I was really keen to get involved in the discussion for two reasons. First of all, as you quite rightly say, I'm a parent, so I've got two children, one is two. Until recently, I had the excuse of saying I have two under two. So, that was <laughs> the reason why I was so stressed. But now that you know, I can't say that anymore because she's two and a bit. So summer's two and a bit and then Bonnie is 11 months. And um, actually, Bonnie, so what, what's what's going on at the moment with her is that I'm navigating potty training. Mm-hmm. What happened with me is that, um, you know, I was always a child who was a bit of a tomboy and very confident, but probably had like quite low level anxiety, um, would stay up really late at night. Um, And then just crashed because I was quite hyperactive and then went through the experience of bedwetting. And then when I lost my father, who died when I was very young at the age of seven, it all stopped. So it was almost like my body was shocked into like some sort of normality, Mm -hmm. which was a bit interesting. But it really just reinforces the fact that. There are certain things that go on in your life and in your body that you have no control over we don't have all the answers and as much as it's great to have research and the more research that we get the better because evidence-backed research is really important for parents there's always going to be an element of an unknown and uncontrollable which leads me back to the whole parenting thing it's i believe you know my message to parents would be if you've got a child that's dealing with this and you know research shows us that you know as you mentioned before half a million children in the uk probably at least i always think we're add another 10 percent because you don't know what's going on are dealing with this in the uk in between the age of um five and 16 if that's happening in your family just be very supportive of your children or the children that you care for because mm-hmm. you know creating a safe space letting them know that there's no shame around it it's not their fault because it's not their fault you know that it, it's not something that you're consciously doing so that's definitely what i have taken from how i was raised which was just in you know my mum and dad were just very supportive of everything and made everything Mm -hmm. fun and nothing felt like it was my fault and so that's how I am as a parent now directly from how I always look back and with really sort of like quite secure memories of difficult times I went through Mm -hmm. which is good and so I have to pay credit to my mum for that and that's the kind of parent that I want to be and also to children if you're going through something like this yes it can feel embarrassing and you might be worried about staying at a friend's house or have all these little things that people wouldn't even consider that's a concern but you will get through it and you most probably grow out of it and you, you know what you probably even forget that it even happened and it doesn't mm-hmm. define you
1: yeah because it is fairly fairly it, it's a normal thing if it's normal for these kids it is something they're going through and uh, yeah, uh, yeah dr range i mean this is something which you must uh, get, get to talk about but it, it's not something which should ever be treated as anything more than something to be dealt with
8: yeah, absolutely. So obviously bedwetting is a lot commoner and under fives because mm-hmm. they're still learning to toilet and potty train at that point, but it can persist into later life and it can affect children over the age of five. And for them, it can be quite distressing and even embarrassing uh, and, and it has an impact on the wider family, obviously. But there are lots and lots of things that parents and their kids can do to manage something like this. Uh, Some simple things are as simple as making sure you drink properly during the daytime, making sure you have a bedtime routine that involves going to the toilet before you go to sleep. If you wake up at night, train yourself to go get up and go for a wee. Um, If you do happen to have an accident, then it's important for children to get involved with changing the bed sheets or changing their pajamas because that positively reinforces that behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, They can try things like waterproof pajama pants, because that gives them a little bit more reassurance and confidence, especially if they're away from home. Um, Obviously, if you've got any concerns that there's something else going on, if your child has also got daytime wetting, make sure you speak to a healthcare professional. It could be that we need to try something like medication or an alarm. But the important underlying message here is to reassure them that it's something that is quite common, that it isn't their fault, and it is something that they can get through.
1: Yeah, well, with seventy nine percent of parents thinking about this as an issue, that'd be a past the, the, as you say five where it would seem normal. Uh, it, it it is worthwhile just in, in investing in you know the the sort of uh, waterproof pants that you talk about, pajamas, and being able to just you know, treat it normally, and then it, more than likely it will just go away. It'll stop being an issue because it'll just stop.
8: Yeah, so waterproof pajama pants like Ninjamas don't necessarily solve the problem, but they give. Children and their parents a bit more confidence and reassurance that if they do have an accident, it isn't going to be as distressing as it might have been. And mm-hmm. it also gives children the confidence to to be away from home, go on school trips, or stay at their friends' houses. Um, and if they do have an accident, they can feel confident that it's not going to be, you know, the huge catastrophe like they're going to have to change the entire bed or anything like that. So things, tools like that, can be useful. But it's really, really important that you do try all of those other simple measures. And if they're not working, Make sure you speak to a healthcare professional because something else might be going on.
1: Yeah, because uh, the waterproof uh, pyjamas may take the stress away, which may take the problem away. It depends what's causing it. It will be different in so many cases. And that's why, as mm. you say, it's important to talk to a healthcare professional if you do start to feel that, uh, you know, that there's something more than at maybe a hangover from their, their their early years. And there is something which needs to be checked out and looked at. But that's all it is. It, it's, say in, in 99.9% of cases, this is sorted out. By the time they, they've they've hit sixteen, isn't it? It's very rare as it goes past.
8: Yeah, the vast majority of children and young people, uh, are you know, they may experience it when they're younger, but it's usually sorted out by the time they're sixteen. But it can persist depending on the underlying problem. That's why destigmatizing it is really really important, and also seeking help is also really important as well.
1: So, where can we go to for more information on this this survey? And again, the, the normalisation around all of this.
8: Yeah. So, if you want. Um, more information about ninjamas themselves you can go to ninjamas.co and there's information on there about um, waterproof pyjama pants that you can try and some tips and tricks as well but if you want general help and advice on bed wetting the nhs website is really good and the charity eric their website's fantastic
1: and sarah jane obviously this is something you've got an experience with within your family and and the important thing is as you say it's being the right sort of parent about this and it's not one for shouting is it it's one for understanding
6: do you know what? I always think that you can't I can't guarantee that when someone's going through something, it's going to be solved when they relax. And it's so annoying sometimes when you hear people go, just relax and this will be fine. But I can guarantee this. If you're angry and stressed, things aren't going to improve in your life, whether that's the actual physical um, symptom of something or your own mental health. Stress is, Adding stress is never going to be a good ingredient to any recipe. So that's one thing I can guarantee. And in my personal experience, you know, I have really fond memories of just going through stuff and having the person deal with me in the right way, whether it was like a friend. I'm not necessarily talking about this subject, but anything, you know, like I've been very lucky to have been around, you know, great teachers or parents and just people who have, you know, helped me to navigate the ups and downs of life in a way that was quite emotionally intelligent. And that's so important to have people
8: that you trust in your life like that.
1: Dr. Range, one more time, give us that web address and spell it through for us, please.
8: So it's ninjamas.co, and that's spelled N-I-N-J-A-M-A-S dot And other than that, there's the NHS website, which you can find at nhs.uk, and Eric, which is eric.org.uk.
1: As simple as that. Well, Dr. Ranj, paediatric doctor, and Sarah Jane Crawford, television, radio, presenter, actress, star. Thank you both for joining us. <laughs> Thank
6: you. Cheers. Nice to talk to you, Jason.
1: Almost 800,000 children aged 4 through 11 will be typically eating something like a 21 plus sweets over the Halloween period. That's an awful lot, although I think I could beat them if I really tried. To tell us more <laughs> how we should be looking after our teeth, I'm joined now by JLS star Aston Marigold. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? All good? Oh, good here. And I, I trust you're keeping the, your kids' teeth uh, in, in good condition as best you can. I mean, as best as
9: I possibly can, to be honest. It's, uh, they're two young kids. And, uh, you know, they they keep me, they keep me on my toes. So, uh, you know, trying to get them to uh, stand still long enough to brush their teeth a few times a day is difficult. But we uh, we we get to it. We make it happen.
1: <laughs> but uh, it is important that, you know, when when we, they may have been trick or treating, it could just be around the family who bought them some Halloween related treats. You do need to make sure that uh, they are brushing their teeth a good twice a day.
9: Yeah. Yeah. For at least two minutes at a time uh, at least twice a day I think you know as you said Halloween is upon us so it is a time when listen it's fun you get to dress up it's go out trick or and all this kind of stuff we remember that as kids to be honest it's probably even more fun as parents now so uh <laughs> you know it, it is it is something that we kind of you know we sometimes do uh to take advantage but you know we do kind of just go along with it and then you know, the really, really important side of it is obviously still the oral hygiene of it. And, you know, these young kids, as parents, we are responsible for obviously taking care of them. And, you know, I think it's a massive percentage, you know, 42% of parents, you know, admit to, you know, struggling to get their uh, kids in primary school to brush their teeth. So at a time when they just want to be eating sweets and all that kind of stuff, it is obviously difficult to be getting them to stand still. But, um, you know, that's on, that's on that's on us. That's our responsibility, isn't it, to, to make this happen and, and mm-hmm. keep their oral health um, you know, up to uh, above
1: par. Yeah, and, and you can make it a bit fun with things like disclosing tablets every once in a while, so they can see where they've taken the plaque off their teeth. But it's, it's the important thing is it's it's twice a day with a good quality toothpaste, and uh, they, then this is where it, it, it's it's getting them to do the two minutes. Now, what we really could do <laughs> is a two minute JLS track to for them to dance along to whilst cleaning their teeth as a bit of a timer method. Is that something that you they create at home, mate? Do you know, you're not actually too far off there. <laughs> to be
9: honest, you're actually not too far off there, to be honest. Um, yeah, listen, my kids definitely react well to to find the games. Uh, kind of making it so it's not, you know, like you're as a parent kind of telling them what to do. Um, I think it's more along the lines of, um, you know, making it a game and making it fun for them. You know, as, as educational and as, as normal as you want to make this for the kids, it is about having... You know, we play uh we play the statue game, which is a fun game in our house where it's a bit like let them run wild and then you shout statue and then it's great. You get to, you know, keep them still for about 30 seconds. There you go. There's one quarter of it done and you and you keep you keep plowing through, mate, until, until you get through that two minutes.
1: Uh, then it is also important you make sure you get them along to the dentist as well who give you more tips and advice too and then once yes. they hit the age of six and they're, they're starting to get their grown-up teeth they'll probably be starting to appear they can use something like uh, a mouthwash as well an aquafresh big teeth mouthwash is someone out there that can be fun for all the family
9: right Mass- massively so massively so i think it's you know the, the whole campaign behind this the only aquafresh shine bright campaign is, is is something that i am loving and this and, and listen, my kids are fully involved as well now they've, they've set like yeah, you know a like fresh set of competition out at the minute for kids to get creative and design their own tooth guardian which my kids are are absolutely loving they're very creative and they love getting their you know bits of paper out and trying to uh yeah they're just trying to learn they're just trying to get all the all the tools provided you know um for them and just uh yeah as i said we have to try and make it as fun as possible whilst they're still young and they're you know they're sponges so
1: you have to yeah, give them the knowledge. It, He's also living by example to make sure that you're demonstrating the same thing, although you won't be nicking up Aqua Fresh milk teeth, toothbrush or toothpaste, will you?
9: <laughs> Not quite. I mean it smells very it smells great. It does smell great. And <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, I must say it's one that I go, I wish I could use that. But uh, yeah, no, more, more so for them and, and, and teaching them the ways and the skills.
1: And once they have got uh, those skills, I mean, it's about keeping your teeth for life and making sure that you, you don't end them in the same stage as I've got. Well, I've got a couple of gaps in my teeth now because I, I obviously didn't use my toothbrush my toothbrushes often enough as I should have done <laughs> when I've been eating sweets as a kid.
9: Yeah, definitely. You know, it's an ongoing thing. You know, we talk about the Halloween and the sweets and whatever else, but it is, it's just installing them with an ongoing normal. It's, it's normal to be brushing your teeth for at least two minutes, a few times a day. Um, you know i think this is where you know it, it. it is you know we are in fairly hard times as well and we do understand that and you know i think this is where it's great that aquifresh and the uh the dental wellness trust as well for actually bringing mobile dental units to families that really need it most and providing toothbrushes and toothpaste and stuff and uh you know it's free so that is a massive perk and a massive button to them for that because it's uh you know it's tough out there and You know, it's something that we have to make um, normal. Some of us, it is normal, but for others, it might not be as normal to be brushing Mm -hmm. for that amount of time a few times a day. So, yeah, we have to be on it.
1: And as as you get older, the electric toothbrush will help too. That's an important thing, which you have got your big teeth. And uh, is making sure you're still using the the right toothpaste. And the other bit is, it's remembering to not to rinse, but to, just to just spit the toothpaste out after, isn't it? And that's, that's one thing that yeah, very often we, we, we miss out on. So we're actually missing out on the, uh, yes. the fluoride goodness that's coming from the toothpaste itself.
9: There you go, mate. So you could be a dentist yourself. You've got more knowledge, you've got more knowledge than I have. I'm like, geez, I, so I, I
1: just get told off with the state of my teeth, but there we go. <laughs> I, I, I would love to be a member of the Shine Bright Academy, but uh, the, the competition as you mentioned is ongoing. And the brilliant bit is they actually get a custom soft toy, a life-size cutout, and 100 illustrated stickers of their winning tooth guardian design, if they, if they are the lucky winners.
9: Yeah, mate, that's, that's what I mean. I think this is why my kids are very determined. But... Um, <laughs> they uh it's all part of the fun exactly you know i imagine as a kid something that you draw coming to life and, and just having that kind of inspiration especially you know if they are creative and they and they do love that sort of thing it's something that um i think not only is great for them but it's inspiring for other kids as well you know mm-hmm. and it provides the educational and uh you know fun habits that we want them to get used to
1: so where can we go for more information not only on the competition but also the link between aquafresh and the dental wellness trust yeah, which will be on the National School Partnership
9: website. So we'll all be on there for everyone to kind of link up and click up and, and get uh, up to speed on
1: absolutely everything. So look for that National Schools Partnership. And you'll be able to say uh, get your kids into good habits. And uh, I think that's that's all part of you know, being a parent for you, isn't it? I mean, you, you've got to make Indeed, sure, as, you, as we said, you're the example and uh, you're leading the way and not eating too many sugary sweets yourself, Aston, please behave.
9: <laughs> I'll, I'll try. I'm trying to keep these pearly
1: whites white, mate. I'm trying to. I'm trying. Does the job. Jay, let's start Aston gold once again. Thank you for joining us.
9: Yes, thanks so much.
1: Across the UK, 27% of us own a dog, meaning there's more than 10 million pups across the country. There's lots in our city of Wolverhampton, and they are all wonderful creatures. Now, it's been an age-old question, should dogs be allowed into more public spaces? 42% say that pups should be allowed into most public spaces without question. To tell us more, I'm joined now by dog lover, Jody Kidd. Good afternoon.
10: Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. I hope we find you well. I'm oh, very, very good. Excellent. Very, very good. I've got my... A dog on my lap couldn't be happier.
1: Well, this is it. And uh, when it comes to uh, uh, people's pets, uh, I mean, dogs, uh, you very often see the, the sign saying working dogs only allowed. But uh, you know, there are many places where it would still fit in to be able to take your pup just as part of normal day to day life.
10: Yeah, it's actually it's quite surprising. But hence, when Leap and Bound did this uh, research, um, actually, how many places still don't allow dogs in, um, and that people are now having to, you know, really plan their social activities um, in a in a very different way that allows them to to let their dogs go with them. Um, you know, especially I think since, uh, since lockdown, the, the rise of, um, of having a pet dog has gone up and up and up and, um, and people are finding it very, very difficult to go about their everyday, um, you know, chores and things. And w- when you've got a dog, you're either going to have to lock them in a car you're going to have to lock them in the house um and all of these things just because it is it's quite difficult to to be able to go into some public places so um so this is where this campaign is trying to um to kind of like uh lessen the rules a bit um to be slightly more lenient with you know with well-behaved dogs and being um allowed to come into more different places like restaurants shopping centers uh, beaches um and pubs and so i i bought my local pub and and one of the first things that we did all agree on is that you know we will be a dog friendly pub um and you know it, it it's it's actually a lovely thing to see you know the old timers coming in with their you know with their old dogs kind of curled up at their feet and you know having a a pint of something and having a good chin wag you know it's 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 lovely to be able to see them share their experiences and with their dogs you know and and they do they are a man's or a woman's best friend so um to to be able to, to you know having to lock them away and shut them up and tie them outside um, you know it's, it's sad. I mm-hmm.
1: didn't say particular with a pub I mean it, it is great to have uh, it, even if it's only a dog friendly area and it isn't the whole of the pub that uh, uh, the, the animals roam in and it, that, that is it, I think it's part of it I think a, a pub is like an extension of your own home in many ways isn't it so I, I think it very much works to be able to enjoy having your 4 legged friend with you
10: yeah and that's and we're very lucky with the half moon which is my pub that we do have a different space so if someone is frightened of a dog because there we've come across plenty of people that don't like them um you know they've got that they've got that chance to sit somewhere where you won't have dogs but then of course if you've on the other side of the spectrum and adore your dogs like many of us do then you've got the area as well so um we're very lucky to be able to do that. But I think, you know, people should and uh places should actually be thinking more like that because they will be losing um customers, I think. I, I certainly won't go to places that, that I know that dogs aren't aren't allowed. Um, so and i think more and more people are doing it
1: and uh, particularly when it comes down to shopping centers because even if there are some shops it's not really easy for the dogs to negotiate you could at least have them in the center if you've gone as a family maybe one of you waits outside with a pet in the in the big atrium area but the whole family are out shopping together
10: yeah exactly if it's undercover and you know they're well behaved you've got to make sure that your dog is well behaved and and you know and is trained and is not going to be a nuisance and things like that then you know i there has been a few times with with my pub that i have had to ask someone it's had a bit of a naughty dog to maybe take them outside or you know so obviously there is a small minority that do kind of ruin the rest of us but but if you do have a, a well-trained, um, you know, a good dog. Then I, I think it. I think it should only be fair.
1: I, mean, I, I think there's a lot of people I'd rather not see in shops or restaurants before I started kicking some of the dog <laughs> guys. <laughs>
10: yeah, I was about to say there's been probably more punters that I've had to ask leave <laughs> leave the pub than I have dogs.
1: <laughs> and of course, you, you've got Bingo, uh, the Hound and Boris, the Pug. And uh, and they they, they, they they people sometimes see dogs as accessories, and that's not the case. Is that they are part of the family.
10: Oh good. I've just had I've been brought I'm lucky enough been brought up in the in the countryside and, and um and always had dogs and you know, there is just something very calming, you know, I have quite a um you know, especially in the modeling days and flying around walking down catwalks and you know being in the public eye there was just something so lovely about coming back home sitting on the sofa you know having a lovely glass of wine dogs curled up all around you watching watching a movie it's kind of like it's it's kind of so peaceful and I think dogs are really being used a lot more for mental health um you know, that they they're, they're 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 they are a person's best friend and um and you know i've seen i've worked with many um uh mental health charities that you know dogs are really really important especially kind of people that want to go back out into public spaces you know they're kind of like their support blanket so you know there's so many different ways that dogs can can really help people
1: where can we go for more information on this campaign
10: uh well you can actually go to the leaps and bounds uh website and um, and they'll they'll explain a little
1: bit more. Model, dog mom, driver, driver, everything else that you do, because the, the list just keeps going on. Thank you for joining us, Jodie Kid.
10: Thank you so much.
1: Thanks a lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode six hundred and ninety-eight. Next week, I'll see you then. So for now,
0: goodbye from the mail bar. Goodbye from the mail bar. Goodbye from the mail bar, goodbye from the mail bar, yeah, goodbye from the mail bar, yeah.